Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining us. Friends, we are in the middle of examining the book of Hebrews. And just as a reminder, we said that the three-word summary of the entire book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. The author of Hebrews is writing primarily to first century Christians who had left Judaism, had began to follow Jesus, but were facing intense persecution from the government, from family, from friends, and were considering going back to Judaism. And so in order to encourage them to stay faithful to Jesus, the author of Hebrews writes this letter where he elevates Jesus and shows how Jesus is greater than everything that Judaism has to offer and that Jesus was what Judaism was pointing to all along. So you cannot go back. You must stay faithful to Jesus because Jesus is better. And so in our last episode, we looked at how Jesus is better than angels. He's better than Moses. And we said that he's better than the Levitical priests. And so we want to spend the rest of today's episode looking at Jesus as our high priest and what makes him better than the high priests of the Old Testament. So let's begin by talking about the incarnation and the suffering of Jesus. So Jesus is greater than the angels. That's what the author of Hebrews shows in chapters 1 and 2. And after showing that Jesus is greater than the angels, the author speaks about the incarnation of Jesus. So the incarnation is when Jesus, who has always existed as God, the eternal Son of God, truly God, he became human when the Holy Spirit created a body in the womb of Mary, and Jesus' divine and human natures were joined together in some mysterious way that we will never fully understand. And Jesus, remaining what he was, which was truly divine, became what he was not, truly human. So we have a Savior who is truly divine and truly human. And so the question that we've asked for 2,000 years is, why did Jesus have to become human? Why did God not only have to come down from heaven, I mean, all sorts of religions, think about Greek mythology, there's all sorts of stories about the gods coming down from Mount Olympus and getting into all sorts of hijinks. So why did Jesus have to become human? Why couldn't he just come down as God? Well, in the book of Hebrews, three reasons are given. The first reason is that Jesus had to become human to become perfect. The Father, it says in Hebrews 2.10, wanted the Son to become perfect through suffering. Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, talking here about the Father, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, Jesus is sinless. He never sinned. So perfect here does not mean Jesus needed to learn how to stop sinning. He needed to learn how to obey with a good attitude. Perfect here does not mean without fault. That's not what it means. The son was already perfect in that way. Because two chapters later, the author of Hebrews in 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So when the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus becoming perfect, he's not talking about moral perfection. Perfect in this instance means that the son completed the mission that the Father had given him. Scripture teaches that before the foundation of the world, before God created, before he said, let there be light, he already knew the fall would happen. He had already planned to send his son, Jesus. Now, God never fails. 
So even though Jesus has not come on earth as we move through the Old Testament, there's zero chance that Jesus is not going to come to earth. There's zero chance that Jesus is going to fail in his mission, but he hasn't yet done it. The author of Hebrews is saying that in order to complete the mission the Father gave him to redeem a people for his own possession, Jesus had to come down and become human. So he was perfected in the sense of completing his mission by becoming human. Because the climax of that mission was not preach a really good sermon. Jesus didn't have to become human to preach a good sermon. The climax of that mission is the suffering and death on a cross. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reference. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So again, being made perfect does not mean that Jesus had to stop sinning. Hebrews has already said he was without sin Being made perfect refers to the fact that it was on the cross. Jesus became the source of eternal salvation because he died for us. And you have to be human to die. God can't die. He had to become human. The second reason that Jesus had to become human is that he needed to become our high priest. Now, the role of the priest in the Old Testament was to serve as a mediator between God and man. The high priest would teach the people the words of God, and the high priest would bring the sacrifices of the people to atone for their sins before God. So he stands in between the people and God. Well, we need a better high priest. In order for Jesus to be our high priest, he needs to be human. Now, the reason he needs to be human is that Jesus needs to be able to represent both parties in this dispute between us and God. Now, obviously, in this dispute, we are 100% in the wrong. But we need someone who can perfectly represent God to us, and Jesus can definitely do that. He is God. But we also need someone who can perfectly represent us before God. I teach middle schoolers, and if I went into school one day and I kind of was looking like really, really down, really, really glum and sad, and one of my seventh graders said, Mr. Wood, what's wrong? I said, well, my wife and I, we got in a really big fight last night. She's really mad. And this little 13-year-old boy puffs out his chest and says, don't worry, Mr. Wood, I'll go and talk to her for you. Well, that's really sweet, you know, and I love the heart of this imaginary seventh grade boy, but he can't go represent me before my wife. He doesn't know the situation. He's never been a husband. He's never been married to my wife. He can't really represent me. He's not going to be particularly effective as a mediator. But we have in Jesus one who is perfectly able to represent God to us and one who is perfectly able to represent us to God, thus fulfilling the role of a high priest. Right? It says in Hebrews 5.1, Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So every high priest you see in the Old Testament, chosen from among men, and they're appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. You think about the Day of Atonement. Only one person can go in. And so it's like the people are sending this high priest and you go talk to God for us. Think about Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. The people can see Moses up on top of the mountain. They can see the presence of God. And Moses comes down and and they say to him, you go back and talk to him. We, We are terrified. You go and represent us. That's what we have in Jesus. And since Jesus is our high priest, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a perfect high priest who perfectly represents us, so that should draw us to prayer. So Jesus had to become human to become perfect, to become our high priest, and to become our perfect sacrifice. The Son became human because that was the only way that the Son, the eternal divine Son, could die for our sins. It says in Hebrews 8.3, Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest, talking about Jesus, also to have something to offer. Right? Every high priest in the Old Testament would bring a lamb or a goat or a bull or a ram or a pigeon. They would offer these sacrifices. That's what a high priest does. Jesus must offer the ultimate sacrifice, which is himself. No bull, no goat, no ram, himself. He had to become human to become our perfect sacrifice. And by offering such a perfect sacrifice, here's what Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, a human existence, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus had to become human to become our high priest. And he's not just another high priest, you know, one in a, a long line stretching back to Aaron, Moses' brother. No, he is the ultimate, the superior, the greatest high priest. So what makes Jesus greater than all the other high priests? Well, first, Jesus is from a different tribe. All the high priests in the Old Testament were from the tribe of Levi. But Jesus is not a Levite. He's from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of kings. Hebrews 7, 13 through 14 says, For the one of whom these things are spoken, Jesus, belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. You, know, you look back at the Old Testament, all the high priests are from Levi, but Jesus is not from Levi. He's from Judah, and nobody from Judah ever got to serve as a high priest. It says in verse 14, It is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. He is the ultimate priest king. And if you can think back, we've talked about this multiple times in the podcast. When you look back at the Garden of Eden, Adam was supposed to be a priest king. And he failed. And God almost sort of divided that role up for the rest of the Old Testament. We see priests and we see kings, but we don't see priest kings. And in Jesus, that role that Adam failed in and that role that Israel, corporately speaking, failed in, Jesus succeeds in perfectly. He is the priest king that Adam and Israel were supposed to be and failed to be. What else makes Jesus greater than all the other high priests? He's eternal. Hebrews 7, 16 through 17 says, Who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. So saying Jesus didn't descend from Aaron like the rest of the high priests, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Jesus is eternal. And since Jesus is always alive, that means he can always intercede for us. He can always pray for us. Hebrews 7, 24 through 25 he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. It doesn't say Jesus is willing to make intercession for us or Jesus begrudgingly will make intercession for us just to get us off. No, he lives to. He loves it. He delights in praying for us. 
and he always lives. He is eternal, and so therefore he will always be praying for us. Third reason that Jesus is better than the other high priests, he's sinless. Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If you've read through the Old Testament, you are aware that it's not only the people who are sinning, it's the apparatus that God had put around them. The prophets are corrupt. The priests are corrupt. The kings are corrupt. Most of the high priests of the Old Testament are failures. They are a moral failure. But Jesus is sinless. And therefore, when Jesus goes before God, he doesn't have to offer up a sacrifice for his own sin before he can get to the sins of the people. That's what they would have to do in the Old Testament. Before the Day of Atonement sacrifice could happen, the high priest would have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins so that he could come before God to deal with the sins of the people. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus was sinless and perfect, and his sacrifice was credited to our account. It wasn't to pay for his own sins. It was to pay for my sins and your sins. And in fact, Jesus' sacrifice was so great, he did away with the sacrifices altogether. It says, where there is forgiveness of sins, Hebrews 10, 18 says, and that's that's what happened at the cross, there is no longer any offering for sin. So one of the reasons that Christians don't offer up sacrifices at the temple, we don't observe Passover, the Day of Atonement, because we don't have to. Christ has paid for our sins once and for all. It never needs to be repeated. So we've said that Jesus is the better high priest. We've looked at three reasons why he's the better high priest. I want to just make mention briefly, because we're going to look at this in our next episode, uh, an extended period of time, is the superior offering of our high priest. Like we said, part of the job of a high priest is to offer an offering. And since Jesus is the high priest, he too had to offer an offering. But his offering was made to establish the new covenant. The covenant that God had been hinting at all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy before the people had even gotten into the promised land. God said, I know you're going to break my covenant, but I'm going to make a new one. And this was fleshed out more in the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, speaking about what God is going to do through the Messiah, through the suffering servant, to restore and redeem his fallen people and his broken world. It says in Hebrews 8, 7 through 13, For if that first covenant, the covenant made at Mount Sinai, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. So just quick side note. There's nothing wrong with the old covenant in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. The problem with the old covenant is with the people. God finds fault with them when he says, I'm going to make a new covenant. Verse 9. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that Jesus is going to bring in by his death. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So what what is it about Jesus' sacrifice? I mean, in the Old Testament, 
people give their lives for other people, right? People are willing to die for other people. It's not unheard of. It's rare. It's beautiful, but it's not unheard of. So what is it about Jesus's offering of his own life that made it possible for God to bring in the new covenant? Well, Jesus' offering was better in three ways. First, he offered himself rather than bulls and goats. Hebrews 9, 12 through 14, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer, speaking of all the Old Testament rituals, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If the Old Testament sacrificial system was effective, and it was, because God said it would be, how much more effective will the blood of the Son of God be? So his offering is better because he offers himself rather than bulls and goats. Second, his offering is better because he offered himself in the heavenly realm. The Old Testament high priests offered their sacrifices either in the tabernacle, that mobile tent where they kept the Ark of the Covenant, or in the temple. But the point that the author of Hebrews makes is whether you're talking about the tabernacle or the temple, both of those are just copies and shadows of God's true heavenly throne room, and that's where Jesus' offering was made. It says in Hebrews 9, 11, and then 23 through 24, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, speaking of his own body, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The Old Testament priests were to take the blood of the sacrificial animal into the tabernacle, into the, high, into the Holy of Holies, and sprinkle the blood. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you know, the ram and the, and the goat blood, that, that works to purify the copies. But the real deal, you need something other than the blood of an animal. You need the blood of the servant of Yahweh to purify and he offered himself in the heavenly realm and thus brought about our purification from sin. And the third reason that Jesus' sacrifice was better is that his offering did not need to be repeated. Jesus' sacrifice was a once-for-all-time deal. Hebrews 9, 25-26 says, It was not to offer himself repeatedly, Jesus' death on the cross, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood on his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice for himself. Once for all. Hebrews 10, 11 through 12. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Friends, we sit down when we're done with our job. Jesus does not need to stand to offer up a sacrifice. He's done it. He has done it. His sacrifice covered all of the sins of the people of the new covenant like me and you. Now, this truth of Jesus' sacrifice is so good. In some ways, this is what Christianity boils down to that God himself came to pay the price for our sins to make it right again. We need to dive into it a little bit deeper. And Lord willing, that's what we're going to do in our next episode as we take a look at Jesus's superior sacrifice. But for now, take up and read, my friends. God bless.